0: amen how many's ever been through a trial and god has kept you amen how many's ever been in a moment where you didn't know how it was going to turn out but god made a way where there seemed to be no way thank you jesus if you have your bibles turn with me to job the first chapter we're going to begin reading in chapter one and verse one we'll read all the way down verse 4. It's a very familiar passage, one that we know, probably even the story is very familiar to all of us. We know the story of Job. We have studied the story of Job. But I believe that God has got strong principles even more than we've seen through our flesh but has been revealed by His Spirit in this one particular book of a man that was faithful unto God regardless of what the enemy brought against him. Now, just so you know that God does not hate you, but God loves you, amen. Every good gift comes from one. That's it. The enemy has nothing good that he wants to do for you, but he wants to bring against you. He wants to bring against you. He wants to wreck your health. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to mess with your family. He wants to take your goods away from you. So we don't get anything good from the enemy. So when we go through the most difficult moments of our life, know this, that it's not God, not him forsaking us, but the enemy has come against us. God's strength will be sufficient in those times of need. And so let's open up and read Job 1 and 1. and says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Before we're seated, before we pray, I'll give you my title. I want to Do my best to preach this thought what Tuttle does, what Tuttle does. Now, just to clarify this, this isn't in reference to Matthew Tuttle that preached at Youth Congress or NAYC a few months ago, but this is a completely different. Person, what Tuttle does. Can we one more time just ask God to be with us, Lord? We thank you for your spirit, your strength. We thank you for what you've done so far in this service, the moving of your presence, the building of our faith. God, I pray that you'd continue to pour it out upon us and strengthen us and be with us and watch over us. We give you glory and honor and praise. And everyone said, In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let me just set the record straight. I want to clarify a few things in this. One thing that I want you to understand is that I believe in miracles. I, I said I believe that at any moment in any service, when we begin to call upon the name of Jesus, I believe he has the ability to step in his presence into our life and perform The miraculous, amen. I just believe that we don't know how it happens. I believe that sometimes we don't know when it will happen. But at the least most unexpected time in any service that we begin to lift up the name of Jesus, he has the ability to step in and God can heal your body. He can make a way. He can bless your finances. God has the strength and power to do all of that and above and beyond. Somebody say amen. I believe in miracles. Amen. I'll never forget. It was a it was a youth camp, and and camp had finished, and kids had left the tabernacle to go do what they do at the the snack shack. Uh, and uh, take on dates and stuff. I know y'all don't do that, this good group of young people, but but uh, in this particular district they did, and everybody had left, and I was over in the corner talking with one of the speakers, and there was a girl, her name was Danielle. She was about 14 at the time, and she was standing right in the front, and everyone had left, and they were starting to turn the lights out. They, do they do that here when it's time for us to leave? Because Pentecostals will stay all day long if the lights are left. So they start turning. Well, they'd already started to turn the lights out. And and so I was getting a little antsy thinking, I probably need to to get this guy over and get him a hamburger or something. And, And Danielle had forgotten that she was supposed to leave when that light cue was going on. And she stayed in the front just seeking God's face all by herself. She began to pray and she began to speak in tongues. One of her friends thought she had gotten lost and came back to the tabernacle to find her. And when she saw Danielle at the front, she walked over to her. Her friend was 15 years of age and laid her hand on Danielle's head. And they both began to pray. How many nosy people are out there? I'm a nosy person. If somebody's having a really good conversation over here, I just feel compelled to to make my way over there to find out what they're laughing about. And, and it seems like it's better than conversation that I'm having over here. So, I, And I couldn't help it, but I, I I was magnetized. It was like it was pulling me towards these two young ladies as they were praying and speaking in tongues. And, and they started dancing and shouting. And, and man, I, I got excited. I didn't know what I was getting excited about, but I was just getting excited. And I thought, oh, man, I don't know what happened, but something's happening. And I waited until they were done, and I said, Danielle, what, what just happened? And she said, Brother Guy, you're not going to believe this. Look, and she bent over and she touched her toes. Now, that is not a very significant feat to anyone that's under the age of 18. But uh, any, any of us that are over, I, I'm not going to try that right here. I may do that when I get back to the hotel by myself when no one else is looking. But, but uh, you know, touching your toes for a 15-year-old girl is not that big of a deal. But, but she said, look, Brother Guy, and she touched her toes. And I thought, all right, explain this to me. She said, Brother Guy, you don't understand. She said, I was born with spina bifida, and three of my vertebrae have been fused together. And she said, I've never been able to touch my toes. I've had limited mobility, she said. But in this moment right here when I was praying and my friend laid her hand upon my head, something happened and I felt heat run through my body. And she said, look at this. And she had complete mobility in a moment when there was nobody else around and a preacher didn't lay her hand on that girl and some prophet didn't need to come in. There was two apostolic young people that had a need in their life and they begin, you know what I believe? That in any moment even and right now while you stand to your feet God has the ability to come in and heal your body and to touch your need that's the God that we serve I believe in miracles amen I believe I know God is able I I could keep going. I could tell you how I, I watched a man that was addicted to drugs, a respiratory therapist and he went out into the desert to purchase some illegal narcotics and that drug deal went really bad and somebody put a gun to his head and pulled that trigger and he woke up in the hospital and for 17 years that man was completely blind but he walked into an apostolic Pentecostal service one afternoon and some young people laid their hand on this man and prayed for him and God opened his eyes and the doctor said this is absolutely undeniably a miracle. You know what? I believe that God has the ability to perform miracles. You know what, that's why some of us keep coming to church and that's why we keep worshiping God and we keep lifting him up. We just know God could have a miracle for me. God could perform a miracle for me. You know what, I believe that brings great faith. But oh, hear me, you you hold on, hear this preacher because what happens when God does not perform the miracle? Because that's the question we don't like to explore. You see, I believe this, that sometimes God brings you to a point And God says, not now. But you see, if all we do is expect God's going to do. He's going to do. He's going to. Oh, what happens to our faith when God doesn't do what we want Him to do? I believe this there needs to be some apostolic young people and some apostolic adults. There needs to be a person in this room that has walked with God a time or two that you've gone through an issue and you had a health scare. And you know what? You've been struggling with your faith because miracles and signs and wonders have not followed. But every time the enemy comes at you and tells you, God doesn't love you, He doesn't care for you, God's not going to provide for you, your faith is not wavering but it's rooted and grounded upon a principle and you're saying in your heart even right now as I'm preaching it doesn't matter what the enemy brings against me, I'm not turning away, I'm walking this walk, I am keeping my faith, I know that God can provide and do but even if he does not, it doesn't change my worship, it doesn't change my faithful attendance to church, it doesn't change who I am as an apostolic I know that God will sustain me and keep me and bring me through every trial because I know what? My God is faithful. He's faithful even if he doesn't perform a miracle. He's faithful if he doesn't do what I ask him to do. God is always faithful. I believe in miracles, but I know that sometimes greater faith is when God does not perform the miracle. see, we open up the book of Job and we begin to see this story. I I don't see anywhere in scripture that God gives a description like he gave Job. He was a perfect man. I know we just came through a marriage retreat and uh, some of you heard some of the stories of my wife and I. Now, I've been telling my wife for years I'm pretty close to perfect. And, And she's been reminding me that there is no man that is perfect. Except one, the man, Christ Jesus. And, uh, and I had to come to grips with that a long time ago. And, and, uh, but Job, God gave this description that he was perfect and upright. Uh, wow, what, what, a, what a level for us to live to. He's a man that feared God and he was against evil. Oh, you hear me? God had a lot of good thoughts about Job. He said, look at this man, my servant Job. There is none like him. There, there's nobody. The Bible says he was the greatest in all of the East. I don't know how many men that were in the East, if there were just a couple. But Job was at the very top. You see, God had good thoughts about Job. He looked at him and he said, devil, it doesn't matter what you take and bring against him and what you put him through. This man is going to serve me. Oh, I hope that God could say that about somebody in this room. Doesn't matter what they go through, enemy. Doesn't matter what you bring against them. You know what? They're not going to fail. And they're not going to walk away from their faith. They're going to keep on living for me. That's what God needs to say about every apostolic believer is that they love me and they'll serve me and they're upright and they're not going to fail. No, they're not. gonna, Oh, we may stumble every now and then and we may get a little discouraged every now and then, but we need to stand up and say, I'm not going anywhere. God, I'm still going to serve you and trust you. We know the story of Job. Job had all this stuff. God had blessed him. You know, it's amazing how I've noticed this. We we pastored in in Alaska, and and it's kind of shocking when you you see people coming into the church and and what the enemy does. You know what? Let me just say this: people that are coming into the church, uh, the enemy has messed with them too long, and the enemy has tried to hurt them and discourage them, and he's tried to tear them down. We see people coming into the church, and, and let me just tell you: probably I don't know this church, but I just have a feeling that this church is made up of people that were once out there that the enemy began to beat up and begin to tear down and begin to mess with. But when they came into church, something happened to you, and you found something that you had searched all your life. And- couldn't find you found peace that passed understanding and you found love and joy and a hope that you didn't have and God began to lift you up out of drugs and alcohol and addiction he began to put pieces back together of brokenness and hurt and God began to do what you cannot even explain because that's what God does when we come into church Isn't it amazing, though, that you walk into church for the first time and you've got nothing. You don't own a home or you don't even have a car and you can't keep a job. But, oh, the the Holy Ghost gets a hold of your life and God begins to turn something around. And now you've got a house and you've got a car and you've been blessed by God. And you can't even explain it or even fully understand it. But God does. I'm not saying it's all about that. No, 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 don't get me wrong. But. But isn't it amazing you look back and watch You used to be 20 years ago, and you're thinking, my word, what what happened? How how did I get so successful? How, How did I get smarter? How did I? You know what it is? It's just God blessing. You know what? Your faithfulness will not be misunderstood by God. He looks at your faithfulness to church and to your family and to your worship, and God will begin to pour out upon you blessings. And that's exactly what happened to Job. Job had all of this stuff, and it all came from God. And everything that he had, in one moment, we begin to see that the enemy began to take it away. One servant after the other would run up and say, Job, I tell you this, but every one of your camels are gone. Sheep gone, donkeys gone. Job, it's just just crazy stuff. I mean, we got we got armies that are coming in and fire falling from heaven and and and, and hellfire and and brimstone. And, and Job, you're not going to believe this, but everything that you've got has been ripped out of your possessions. And and then the last servant runs up and says, Job, your children. Job, I don't know how to explain this, but your seven sons and three daughters, that they, they were all in a house together, and the wind began to, and the walls fell in, and, and they're 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 gone. They're dead, Job. You you've lost everything. And Job, no doubt, was overwhelmed by just the very fact that everything that he possessed, it was taken away from him. And poor Job didn't have Job to read, so he couldn't fast forward to chapter 42 and see what was going on. But there Job was, faced with this decision, do I serve God? Do I stay faithful? Am I doing what's right, God? Why did you judge me and come against me like this? And Job just looked and said, it doesn't matter what's happened to me. His own wife, and we could get philosophical and debate about that, that theologically and we could say well maybe she was having pity but she even said Job curse God and die and Job said though he slain me I will trust him I'm not giving up I'm not walking away I'm still going to put my faith in God because I know who he is and regardless of my circumstances he's faithful Job lost it all I don't know if you've ever done any counseling. Don't don't even ask me this. I'm dealing with 18 to 22 year olds. <clears throat> I don't just do one or two counseling sessions a week. I don't do one or two counseling counseling sessions a day. The moment I'm out of class, it's every half hour. <laughs> Most of them are very very serious stuff. Brooke, you, you, uh, not that, not that you ever, you know, but, uh, most of them are very serious stuff. Like, is, is this guy right for me? Is this, is this, is this girl? I think I'm in love. It's amazing how love changes so quickly and rapidly at 18 years of age. It's like this, I'm in love with her. I'm telling you, brother guy, and she's the one. And within a few weeks, it's like, I found another one. <laughs> and, uh, that was quick. And, uh, that's just the way it works. It's just like it's this emotional roller coaster. One day they, they could climb the mountain and, and become a missionary and, and do amazing things for God. And the next moment uh, they're, they, they're saying, I don't even know if I'm going to live until tomorrow. It's just like this. But God helps them. I don't know how he does it, but he helps them. So just hold on, young people. Just hold on. You're, you're, you're going to find. Let me tell you, tell you something. You, if you pray about your spouse, it's amazing how you find the one that you're supposed to find. Eric, you need to think about this. You start praying. If you're not, you start praying. Listen, y'all pray about it and what God leads you in strange ways. And and just there it is. God just works it all out. So I don't know if you ever had any counseling, but um, let me just tell you. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. uh, Job had good friends that were going to counsel with him. Let me give you some advice. What Job's friends did is what you should never do. Three of his friends, best friends, showed up. Not you. You have personal space issues. Okay, I, I have. I do. Uh, we. I have a bubble. Do you have this bubble? I got a bubble. I like people to stay. I'm. I'm okay talking, but if but if you invade my bubble, if I'm getting too close, it makes you feel uncomfortable, doesn't? you you're, you're not uncomfortable with me, are you? Don't. Oh, keeps moving back and saying, "Please stay away from me. Use use that. Use him. I'll. I'll choose you because you're a guy and. Uh, but Job's friends, three of them walked up, and for seven days, you know what they did? Actually, seven days and seven nights. Well, no, they, they stared at him. I mean, this is awkward for me right now, just within these few seconds, but can you imagine seven days, if, and three of your friends all here, and we're staring at you? You're going through the toughest moment of your life, and all we do is stare at you. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Can you imagine you're there and you've lost everything and your friends are just staring at you? And you're, you're getting fidgety and you're thinking, dear God, why don't they just say something, anything? And then that got worse because when they did open their mouth, it went from saying nothing and uncomfortable to where they opened their mouth and then it got even worse because they began to give advice that was not good advice. Let me just say, if your friend's going through something, don't show up at their house and stare at them for seven days. You know what you probably should do? You should start praying for them immediately and just let them know that God is God and, and you're not, but he's got it in control. But you know what, what happened when they opened their mouth that got even worse because Eliphazar was the first one to speak and guess what he said? He said, um, uh, Job, he said, even as I have seen they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. You know what he's saying, Job? D- did you do something to deserve this? Job, Job, what's going on here? Uh, Job, Job, let me tell you. Behold, happy is the man who God correcteth. That's bad advice. Don't amen that nobody's happy when God corrects you. But that's what, happy is the man whom God corrects Aren't you happy that God is judging you, Joe? Aren't you glad that he took everything away from you? No, that's not good advice. He said, uh, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Let me just tell you this, when you go through troubles and the enemy comes against you, that is not God's judgment upon your life, ladies and gentlemen. Though you walk through a valley or a trial, that doesn't mean that God hates you. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. That not the God that we serve, but that's the attack of the enemy. You see, God allowed the enemy to come against Job. God didn't orchestrate it, and God was not in favor of it, I don't believe. But the enemy was attacking Job. His friends said, Job, Job, Bilidad even said, Job, listen, you and I both know there's probably some sin in your life. That's why all these things are happening. Isn't it amazing that we and even our friends begin to say things like this when we go through trial? Well, there's probably sin. You need to repent. You know what? Maybe, maybe the sickness that's in your body right now has nothing to do with your sin or your life or what you've done or your failures. Have you ever thought about that? It's just life in general. So stop looking towards God and saying, God, why don't you love me enough to take care of this? Oh, we need to learn from Job when his friends even said, Zophar said, you are a blatant sinner and you deserve everything that you get. You know what? Job said this, he said, no, 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 I don't believe this. I believe God's going to bring me through this fire. I believe God's going to walk with me. I believe he's going to be there to comfort me. Even though my body is in pain and even though my heart is breaking, I'm not going to ever turn my back on God. And Job did not turn his back on God. So here we are. Here we are. We're at this place where I tell you what Tuttle does. You see, Tuttle is probably a man. I don't even know if he's a man. I don't know who Tuttle is, to be honest with you. The only thing I know is that Tuttle, at some point, began to plant apple trees just outside of Indianapolis. Now, my family, we, we don't really love apples. We like apples. Apples, uh, there's a saying, an apple a day keeps a doctor away. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I really don't believe that is true, actually. I think that's false. I don't really like the taste of apples unless you put them in apple pie. I like apple fritters. You see, apples are good, but when you put them in heat and sugar and cinnamon and other delicious things, butter, lots of butter, I like apples. I like those apples. (laughs) Apples are not bad, but uh, we go to... We go to Tuttle's Orchard, and we get the little red wagon, and we pull it out to the apple orchard, and we begin to pick apples off those trees. And uh, anybody else have teenage boys? You know, I don't know what the deal is. Their their brain is wired in a way. We, we can't just start picking apples. It's like, oh, there's a hand grenade. <laughs> oh, I wonder what would happen if I hit my brother in the head with this as he's walking down the aisle of this apple orchard. This would... In their mind, they're thinking this is a good idea. This this would be fun, right? And before you know it, everybody's dodging apple grenades in the entire apple orchard, and mom is going, "Would you stop it? Right? You are embarrassing me right now. I've raised you better than this, and she has raised them better than this." But every now and then, those boys they lose their mind and forget how mother raised them and how father had to enforce that raising by certain elements called correction and and. Uh, Somebody help me out here. Am I the only one? And and, uh, and so sometimes I just I, I I do what every father should do. I just think I can't deal with this, and so I just leave. <laughs> so I, this is what good fathering looks like. So I'm like, I'm gonna let her handle that one, <laughs> and because uh, I know where it's going. I know she's gonna be like, "Are you gonna do something?" And I'm like. Uh, the beatings will now begin. Let's let's go to the car. <laughs> that's why you should get a good, never mind. I, I could go to jail probably for this. I need to be quiet. And uh, I got good boys. I'm just kidding. And uh, so I walked up, and there's this little booth up there, and, it's, and um, there's a lady working behind it, and there's a guy that, you know, when you look at a man that's got calluses on his hands, and he's got car hearts, and, and they look worn, and he's got a, a, a bucket over there, and he's got an axe and a chainsaw. That's a guy that knows what he's talking about. doesn't matter what subject. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so I walked up, and I said, hey, I said, I heard some questions. Uh, I have some questions. heard some things about apple trees. don't know anything about them. I said, here's the first question. And uh, they said, yeah, we can answer them. And I said, why are all these trees six foot tall? And they said, because we cut them off at that length. I thought, well, that's, that makes sense. And I said, why? And she said, well, the reason they do that is because we cut those trees off so those branches will stay low. And the real thin branches. And when those apples, they literally weigh those branches down so we don't have to get stepladders to climb up and pull the apples off of them. We can literally walk up and pick them. I thought, you people are so kind and nice, and that's nice. Help us with these apples. And I said, Well, here's another thing. What what happens if you have an apple tree that doesn't produce fruit? And And she said, well, after the mature barren age, she said usually around four years of age, she said sometimes we do have trees that do not produce fruit. And the husbandman will go out with this bucket right here. And he showed me the bucket. He said he'll walk out into that apple orchard and he'll either take that axe or that chainsaw and he'll walk over to that tree that's not producing fruit and he will take that chainsaw or that axe and he will cut a blow into the trunk of that tree. It's it's not all the way through. It's just into the meat of the tree. It goes in through the bark and... And the sap will begin to rush to that area, that wound in the trunk. And that apple will stop reaching its branches towards heaven and stop growing. And it'll begin to focus on the healing. And the husbandman told me that at that time, the next season, that apple tree usually always bears fruit. Oh, hear me. I've been thinking about what does it look like when we go through trials and and we're wounded, and we're hurt, and we don't understand why, God, why? Have you ever thought about this, that maybe God is allowing you to experience the greatest hurt of your life because he's trying to produce something inside of you? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I I do believe this, that God is trying to produce fruit of the Spirit, but you have to go through a trial every now and then to find out who you are, and what does your faith look like? You see, if it was always the mountaintop and smooth sailing, you would never know how to to get to your knees and begin to call upon that name that is above every name. If you've never gone through a trial, then you never know how God can step in and begin to provide for you. Don't despise the process of pain. Don't you despise those moments where you don't have the answers and you don't understand why. Oh, just hear this preacher today that God has got purpose and there's a growing process in your life. He's trying to heal and produce at the same time. Just hold Hold on to your faith. Trust in God and know that he's able. He's bringing me through. He's not giving up on me. This judgment is not because he hates me, but because God has a plan for my life. Somebody lift your hands right now. Hallelujah. So you know what Tuttle does. Tuttle does this, he begins begins to inflict pain so the tree will heal and produce fruit. Oh hear me, hear me I believe that there's somebody in the sound of my voice in this room that you've been going through trials and God has been silent it seems, heavens have not spoken but the enemy oh his voice is louder than ever he's been telling you, give up walk away, don't you just uh, love it how everyone else receives blessing but you've got nothing You possess nothing. You know what this means? God doesn't love you. But there needs to be an apostolic that stands up and say, devil, you're a liar. Get behind me. Because God is always faithful. He's never turned his back on me. He's never failed. There's never been a battle he's lost. There's never been a moment of confusion in his life. God will bring you through every trial. You see, I believe this. I believe it's about perspective. Perspective. You see, what, what are we focused on? I, I think the, the church, we've, we've focused on the wrong ideology. Please don't misunderstand this. I, I'm not against the car you drive, the house you live, and the career you have. But you see, there was a time when the church understood that we're not of this world. There's a time we used to sing about it and preach about it. We'd come into church and we'd say, hmm, some glad morning. (laughs) When this life is over, I'm going to fly away. There's to be some times when, when we used to come into church and we'd say, oh, I looked up in the sky this morning. And I saw a cloud and I thought this could be the cloud that he's coming back on. There was a moment when the church would wake up and we'd kind of tune our ear to that sound of a trumpet saying one morning, that trumpet's going to sound and my feet are going to lift off the ground and I'm going to join the dead in Christ. Oh, there was a moment when we begin to look for those streets of gold and those gates of pearl and we begin to think about that crystal sea with a mansion that had my name on it. But more importantly, there was a moment the church couldn't wait to see Jesus face to face. You see, we begin to think my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I don't have a treasure on this earth. I'm not trying just to get by on this earth, but I'm looking towards a heavenly home. I'm looking towards my eternity. I'm seeking out my destiny. I want to know, is Jesus still there? You see, it used to all be about heaven. But I believe that we've forgotten what we're living for. I believe we're comfortable on this earth. I believe we kind of like what we do every day. Oh, but I wish there was somebody that still had that old apostolic message down inside of you and you couldn't wait to leave this world behind. You kept thinking every day, oh, I can't wait to make it there. Come on, can you imagine standing in front of the one who saved you by his grace, the one who shed his blood so that you could receive redemption? Can can you imagine looking at Jesus and saying, oh, I want to see him. I want to, is that still your hunger? Are you still walking through this life saying I'm a stranger and I'm passing through? Come on, I don't want to be here any longer than I have to be here. That's what the church needs to get inside of their heart is the idea that I can't wait until His second coming. I'm ready for heaven. Oh, hear me, hear me. Joe went through this trial not because he knew that God was going to do but because he had his sights set on something greater. Let me just say this the reason you're having a problem getting through the everyday struggle of life is because your sights are not set on anything greater than you. Oh but when I start looking towards heaven oh my my everything begins to pale in comparison. You know what? It doesn't matter the boss that I don't like at my job. It doesn't matter the issues in my family. It doesn't matter the things that I'm having to bear in my physical body. doesn't matter, matter the emotional stress that I carry in my mind. I'm looking to something greater. Come on, I'm looking to a place where there's no more suffering. And there's no more sorrow. And there's no more pain, and there's no more crying, and there's no more struggle. Oh, I'm looking for a heavenly home where everything is perfect. And you know what I get to do? I get to stand in front of Jesus and worship him and magnify him, the one who saved me. That's what I'm looking for. This world is not my home. Come on, we're passing through. Oh, hear me, hear me. You see, Job, Job went through it all, the trials, the pain, the hurt, and he remained faithful to God. Let me just say this. When your sights are set on something eternal and you're faithful, God's going to bless you. God will bless you. Come on, everything, everything I have is because of God. Let me just tell you this. Come on, I've got things I don't deserve. It's because of God, I promise you. I don't have that much ingenuity. I, I'm not that creative. I, I don't possess that type of skills. But God is blessed. Oh, there's some apostolics that, that you're testifying this right now. And you could say, oh, yeah, come on, preacher. Everything good that I have, I know it comes from God. Come on, I have been blessed. God has rewarded my faithfulness. God has rewarded my worship. Come on, it's been more than monetary. But he's kept me. He's blessed me. He's provided for me. Come on, he's encouraged me. He's lifted me up. Job said, I'm not discouraged any way, no how. Yeah. Job gets to the end and Job walks into chapter 42. And God begins to look at him. And, and we could we could preach a whole message on the 10th verse of 42. It says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. What? When he prayed for his friends. Oh, hold on. Whoa. You mean those same people that came and stared at him and accused him of being a sinner and accused him for getting everything he justly deserved because of his lifestyle? You mean to tell me come on, you, you mean to tell me that God turned his captivity because he prayed for the people that were accusing him and coming against him? and atta- Oh, you need to hear this message. You know what? When someone comes against you and begins to mess with your mind and begins to attack you verbally and tells you things that you don't want to hear, it's not time to get mad and get angry and walk out of the church and say I'm never going back. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. You know what you need to do? You need to let God turn your captivity around and deliver you and set you free and give you liberty because you begin to pray for those that use you and you pray for those that despitefully use you and you pray for those that come oh you need to hear me you need to get to a place where I'm praying for my friends and I'm praying for my enemies it doesn't matter what's coming against me I'm going to pray and God's going to sort it out that's what God did turn the captivity of Job You mean I gotta pray for my alcoholic uncle? You mean, you mean I gotta pray for my grandfather that never came to church? You mean I gotta pray for cousins that I can't stand to be at family? reunion? oh yes, I gotta pray for them. You mean to tell me I gotta pray for coworkers that I don't even like? I won't even talk to them. I walk the other way down the hallway so I don't have to pass their office. Yes, if you want God to turn the captivity of your life and give you liberty and give you liberty in worship, you want God to do something great. Pray for those that come against you. And so here we are, Job, prayed for those, and God turned, and then there it is. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Oh, come on. Twelve, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Oh, hear me. Hear me, your faithfulness to God. God's going to bless you. Every trial you go through, you know what God's going to bring about? He's going to begin to bless your life. I'm not preaching prosperity. I'm, I'm just telling you that you stay in this long enough. Come on, is there somebody that has been in this walk more than 30 years? Raise your hand. More than 40 years? Come on, tell me, where are you at now? Are you more blessed than you were 30 years ago? Are you seeing things that God's revealing to you more now than you did five years into this? Oh, you keep faithful to the house of God and you can't again to imagine what God wants to bring you through and what he wants to bring you into. Oh, hear me. It gets sweeter and sweeter as the day go by. It gets better. Every day I'm in this thing. I love him more. I see more of him. I'm blessed more than I was. And so here it is. So God was going to bless and double his beginning, his latter more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep. That's double. He had 6,000 camels. Oh, that's double. He had 1,000 yoke of oxen. That's double. And he had 1,000 asses. That's double. So God began to double everything that Job had. That's, that's beautiful, isn't it? Verse 13, and he had seven sons and three daughters. Verse 2, and they were born in him seven sons and three daughters. Well, that's odd. Maybe, maybe we found the mistake in the King James Version, or, or maybe we didn't use the right translation. No, I, I don't think that's, that's it at all. You see, I believe this. God doubled everything that Job lost. Job didn't lose his kids. They were just in a different place. You see, when Job gets to heaven and he steps on streets of gold, Job's going to have 14 boys and six girls. That's why Paul said it like this. He said, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, hear me. Death is not the final answer. Because there's a heavenly home that we're working towards. Death isn't the end game, ladies and gentlemen. It's not over through death, but death is the beginning of eternity. I don't know where you're laying treasures up, but I hope you're laying treasures up in heaven because that's where your eternity is going to begin. It's not what you have on this earth, but it's what we possess in heaven. Oh, hear me. Uh, We need to get back to more messages about heaven. We need to get back to more songs about heaven. We need to wake up every day thinking, come on, I am ready to make it to the other side. Death is not defeat, but it's victory ladies and gentlemen. When I get to heaven Oh Job you're going to see your family. Come on, you're going to see your mom and your dad. You're going to see that lost loved one that died. You're going to see them in heaven. They're waiting on you. Come on, God's prepared a place for them. Oh, turn with me. Turn with me to uh, let's let's go to let's go to Genesis. I'm trying to close. I know I've been preaching a long time. I know this is one of those weird messages. So so we're going to go to Genesis four. I want us to look at Genesis four. So here we are. We have we have the lineage of of Cain and and Abel and and we know the story with Cain and Abel that uh, these two brothers, um, Cain offered what he wanted to offer in the form of worship and and Abel offered what was pleasing to God. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's worship. Now, that's interesting because we come to church, and sometimes we think it's sufficient to give God what we want to give him in the form of worship. And, and do you really contemplate what God is asking you to give him? You know, God's not saying, I want just a little bit. When we come to God and God's not saying, well, well, give me what's sufficient or adequate or give me what you feel comfortable. No, you know what God is looking for? He's looking for this idea called everything. When we come to God and we're not giving everything in the form of worship in our life, you know what? That's not a pleasing sacrifice, a pleasing worship. God's saying, I want it all. I want all your worship. I want all of your faith. I want all of your belief. I want your life. I want you to give me everything. And so then we find that Cain gets angry, and what does he do? He kills Abel, and Abel's gone. And then we see this lineage that begins to unfold, and and, and we begin to look at Cain's lineage, and this is the evil lineage. That's what Scripture and theologians will rev- will say that it is. It's an evil lineage because it's about Cain and his desire to fulfill what he wanted. We see these first few names that are lift, listed in Cain's lineage. Several of the names in Cain's lineage race, it ends in L. The last part of the name ends in L, and it's significant for Elohim, which means they had a connection with God. The first few boys that are born, Cain still remembers Elohim, and so he he there's he's connected to it. But after a few are born, they drop L, so their connection with God is completely severed. As a matter of fact, one of Cain's sons is named Irad, which means wild donkey. And it's interesting how the Mosaic law says that for every, for every firstborn of a donkey, a spotless lamb must be slain and sacrificed or the donkey's neck should be broken. And you know what it's signifying? I believe it started right here because Cain's lineage was a lineage that wanted what they wanted and their desires and they were bullheaded and they were separated from God. It goes further and this man by the name of Lamech, Lamech introduces this idea, uh, this idea right here, this this moral disorder when it comes to polygamy into scripture for the first time. Lamech decides that he's going to take two wives instead of one that's an evil lineage and that plagues every patriarch from this moment on you don't want to know what his wife's name are. One is a dehi, which means ornamental Zilhai, which means seductress. So there we have two of the three sins in the garden of Eden performed right here. The lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. This is the lineage, the evil lineage, this evil lineage. It goes on even further. And Lamech writes the first song ever recorded in scripture. And there he is. He says this. I'll paraphrase. He said, this is a song. He said, do you think that my father had vengeance when he killed his brother? You wait till the man crosses me and I'll pour out vengeance like you've never seen before so in his heart was a man that was angry a man that was vengeful a man that had his own desires at the top of his want list and then we begin to see the lineage of Lamech it talks about these men these men that were born these men that were born to Cain's lineage Lamech is one of them and we begin to see their names and what they accomplish on this earth. We see very talented men. We see one of the men, he's a he's a musician, and he writes songs, and he sings, and he plays instruments. He's very talented in all that he does. We see another one is an artist, and he fashions things out of gold and silver. It's all right there. Another one builds, builds weaponry, swords and shields. And, and then another one is a cattle bear, and he owns cattle, and he raises them, and it kind of has the market on cattle. This is the very beginning of civilization, and these men kind of introduced this into society. And that is the evil lineage. And then in chapter 5, we see that this is Seth, which the Bible refers to him as the righteous. Shakespeare echoed these words in chapter 5 of Genesis, and in one of his plays, Act 5 and scene 3, when the king died, he said, These simple words, and he died, that's all he said. And we find that that's exactly what this scripture is stating over and over again. What's interesting about chapter 5 is it doesn't list uh, what they accomplished, the righteous lineage, it doesn't list what they were good at. But 10 men, 10 generations, if you take out Enoch because he was not for God took him, uh, there's 8 that it says the same thing about all 8 of them. It doesn't list what they did, what they accomplished, what they were good at. It simply lists their name, their age, and those three words. The days of Seth were 912 years and he died. All the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. You see, the evil lineage was very concerned about what they accomplished on this earth. But the righteous lineage His name, he lived this long and he died. Bishop, one theologian says this. He said at those three words, heaven exploded in rejoicing because a righteous son has come home. Musicians can come. I think we've forgotten a few things. I'm not against your your job or your education. I'm not against what you've, Possessed on this earth. But you see, heaven looks at death differently than we look at death. You see, we're in this pursuit of trying to obtain on this earth. But an evil lineage is one that obtains and is successful. You know what God's looking at you? Not what you possess, but how you lived your life. And when we pass on, we have our eternal reward. Let me just say this, your destiny is not an accident. It's by divine order of God's perfect will. That means you don't just end up someplace just randomly. That means you don't just come to church and and just depart, and then all of a sudden you're just going to be the righteous, and you're going to be in heaven, and everything's going to work out. No, you know what it means? That you've got to take specific steps to get where you're going. That means when you come to church, we've got to come deliberately. When we begin to look at our life, we're not so caught up. I I want you to have a good job. I I want you to live in a nice house. I want you to drive a car. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not what I'm seeking. And that's not what the church should be seeking. You know what we're looking for? We're looking for redemption we're looking for another another place. We're looking for a heavenly home. We're looking for a, a place beyond this world that we live in. You see, I'm still a stranger trying to get through. I'm laying up treasures in heaven through my worship and my faithfulness and my committedness to God, to church, to service, to giving. Everything that I want to do is about me giving to the kingdom of God because I'm ready. Oh, aren't you tired of this world? I don't know about you, but, but I'm getting a little nervous and a little worried about things that are happening, especially see politically and things that are happening in this earth. You know what? They're passing laws and and churches are compromising and preachers somewhere are not preaching truth and they're just saying just do anything you want. Live any way you want. But oh, not me. You know what? There's a heaven that has very specific things that it says that I have to do. There's a reason why God said I've got to repent and be baptized and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues. There's a reason why I have to live holy and righteous. There's a reason why I have to come out from this world and be separate. Why? Why? Because I'm trying to make it to heaven. I don't want it to be recorded of what I accomplished on this earth. Because it means nothing when I get to heaven. I don't care the house that I live in. Because it means nothing when I get to heaven. What matters is when I step on that other side. I see my grandmother that prayed every day that God would save me. You know what? I believe she's on that other side waiting for me to come home. <laughs> oh, I see. I see a Sunday school teacher by the name of Bob Harper. And if it wasn't for Brother Bob, I wouldn't be where I am today. I had good family. Don't get me wrong. But I was a preteen, eleven years old. I'd come into that Sunday school class just wrecking havoc. And you know what? Brother Bob loved me. No matter what I did never forget one day, and you can stand. We had Sunday school class, and we were all waiting there. And that preteen class was nothing but 11 and 12-year-old boys. And if you left us alone very long, we would destroy that classroom. We'd get to poking one another, and we'd get to wrestling. We'd be breaking chairs and tables. They had to just have people in there not to teach us, but to guard us. It was like we are little little it was bad I knew we were bad I knew I felt I felt guilty on occasion (laughs) never forget that back door come flying open and there was a man standing there brother Bob was six foot six he was a welder had a beard down to his his belt and he had a crazy wig on he was covered in burlap and leather and he kicked that door open, and screamed, "Repent!" And I'm telling you, I don't know what we were doing because we forgot. It scared every one of us. We we didn't know what to do. He's got a staff in one hand, leather bag around his waist, and he's screaming, "Repent!" And, and we're just cowering, thinking, "Dear God, what?" And then it, we realize it. Oh, it's Brother Bob. It's Brother Bob. We're, we're, we'll live, hallelujah. And he was he was eating. He said he was eating locusts. They were crunchy. And he had honeycomb. He's eating honeycomb. And he was John the Baptist that day. That man changed my life. He probably didn't know it. He probably doesn't know it. A couple years later, he came down with cancer. I watched how this huge man. He shrunk down 300 pounds. He shrunk down to 100, almost 100 pounds before it was all over. Couldn't even get out of bed. Sores all over his body and face. Last time I spent time with him, he took me out fishing. We went catfishing. And uh, he was very weak and spent the afternoon on the bank of a river talking to Brother Bob. I'm 16 years of age now. And some kids pull up in a car and they get out and they start drinking and smoking and something just began to well up inside of Brother Bob. He said, I'll, I'll be right back. He walks over these kids, man, he starts witnessing to them right there. Before it ended, I watched how tears flowing down a couple of their faces and Brother Bob put his hand on head and prayed for him. That was the man Brother Bob was. Oh, he died shortly after that. About a month after that, he passed away and was and, uh, sat in the back of that funeral home there was a lot of emotions. I was angry. I didn't understand it. I'm sitting there, as a 16-year-old kid, blaming God, questioning God. And then my 16-year-old mind began to process some information. I, I saw that there were people that were stretched all the way through that funeral home, threaded throughout every room, out the door, and around the building to the back parking lot begin to watch those people move through that line and I begin to recognize there was buddies that I had went to that preteen class. There was young couples that were bringing their children in front of that casket. People from all walks of life and age categories and it began to dawn on me that most of these people were people that Bob Harper had taught in Sunday school and taught Bible studies too. You know what Bob Harper was doing? He was laying up treasures in heaven. Oh, hear me. He was putting them up in heaven. Oh, is there somebody here that you've been thinking about? Someone that prayed for you, someone that made an impact that's passed on. Oh, guess what? Where's your treasure at? Is there somebody that wants to see Jesus' face and say, Thank you for delivering me? Thank you for restoring my family. Thank you for bringing me into truth. Thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, where are we at? We wake up every morning saying, this could be it. (laughs) God, you could come back today. Come back now. I'm ready. Or is there a little bit of fear that grips our hearts saying, oh, God, no, 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 God, I've got dreams. I've got goals. I want to see. i got to do. I think our priorities are a little missed we got to realign. Come on, what lineage do we want to leave? What what treasure do we want to put up? Is the trial that you're going through the only thing that you can focus on or are you looking at it saying, God, what fruit's going to be brought? What impact am I going to leave? God, what what, what are you going to do through this? I I don't want to embarrass him, but I'm I'm about to open up this altar. I don't want to embarrass him. our, Our son's with us and He's given me permission to share this. A uh, year and a half ago, we noticed something was wrong. We, we didn't know. If you need to sit down, you can. If you can stand, just stay standing. It won't turn out to be long. We noticed something was wrong with his health. We, we didn't understand what it was. My wife called me up in the room. This is about two days after that they had done an MRI of his brain, and they found a, a mass that's, what, was it, two centimeters by two centimeters in the middle of his brain couple days later he's in his bedroom my wife calls me up from downstairs and I run up into his room and he's lying on the floor he can't move his hands are all twisted up his legs are twisted up he can't speak his speech is slurred and we didn't know what was going on I pick him up and we go running down the stairs and before we can get out the door his older brother runs and says dad can I pray for him and lays his hand and we begin to pray as a family speaking in tongues for the presence of God his older brother starts texting friends and people that we're connected to and family. And my wife is texting people. We put him in the car. We're racing to the hospital. In the back seat, he's trying to say something, but his words are so slurred I can't even hear. And finally, my wife says he, he's, he's wanting to know: Is he going to live? And so, what do you say at that moment? I, I didn't know the answer. I didn't know. I, I didn't know the outcome. And so, what I said was what I knew. And I know God's faithful. I know God's with you. And no matter what happens, I know that God will bring you through. Because I know that. And we get to the hospital. And you can say, this is all fabricated. I'm making this up. But I promise you, my wife is a witness. Every time we received a text and someone said, we're praying right now for Winston. Every time we heard a call on the phone and we answered. And they said, we're praying right now for Winston. I begin to watch that boy improve. We never said a word. Text would come through, and I'd watch how his arm would start to straighten out. A phone call would happen, we'd answer, and I'd watch how his legs would start to move, and he'd begin to loosen up a little bit. I watched how his speech began to clear up, and six hours later, with no drugs administered, doctors not even knowing what's going on, they can't even begin to process it, I watched that boy get up and walk out of that hospital room. No pain in his body. Oh, hold on, hold on. We, we, we get home, and, and uh, a couple days later, he's going in for another MRI scan. And he says, Dad, he said, you know, a couple days ago when I went to the hospital, I said, yeah, I absolutely remember. I could not forget that. He said, well, he said, you know, he said, um, I think God touched me. And I said, I agree. He said, but you know what, Dad? He said, um, this is how I think God works sometimes. He said, um, I think when I go for that 3D MRI, that mass is still going to be there because I don't think God healed me. He said, because I think how God works sometimes is he touches you just enough to prove to you that he's truly capable of completely touching you to heal you. He said, and so God brought me out of that hospital and reversed all those symptoms. This is a 12-year-old boy that's saying that. He said, but I think God was just trying to prove to me that if he wanted to, that he could step in and completely heal my body. He said, but I think God is wanting to know, do I trust him even if he doesn't? a Few weeks later, a month later, we're at church and the church gathers around. They lay their hands and begin to pray and thank God for praying saints that love and know what faith is and can pray and minister to the needs of a family and a child. And we get home that night and he's, he says he's embarrassed. He said, Dad, I got something I need to tell you, but I don't want to tell you because I think it's, it's bad and I don't want you to think I'm talking bad about people. And I said, Well, just tell me what it is. He said, Dad, he said, People were coming up and laying their hand on me and praying. He said, But I think they were saying words that weren't for me, but words that were for them. I said, What do you mean? He said, Because they were. They were saying, in the name of Jesus, you're healed. God has healed your body. God's going to heal you. God's going to take care of this. There's no pain. There's no. It's completely done. And he said, you know what, Dad? He said, I, I, I don't think that they were saying that for me. They were saying it because they felt that's what they should have said. And that was the right thing to say. He said, but, Dad, I think that's not how my story goes. He said, I think what God is asking me is, Winston, do you trust me? even if I don't heal you? Will you serve me even if a miracle doesn't come? He still has juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. He still is in complete pain. He still has a mass in his brain that's affecting him in ways we don't even completely understand. But God has been revealing something to this young man. Because I'll walk by his room and he's in his room praying. He's just a normal he's a normal teenager like everybody else. But let me tell you something. In those moments when you don't have an answer. You know what God can do? He can step in and begin to reveal to you. And though he may not completely take care. Maybe God is saying, do you trust me enough? Do you trust me enough? Do you trust me? Come on, there's, there's somebody here that you're battling a health issue in your life. And God's saying, I can heal you. But do you trust me even if I don't? There's somebody here that you've been asking for an answer, an answer, and God's saying, I could give you that answer, but I want to know do you trust me even if I don't reveal the answer to you? Oh, I I think it becomes about perception. What's our perception? Who who do we think that God is? what, what What treasures are we laying up? What are we looking for? Are we looking for a home that's eternal, or are we just trying to get what we can in this world? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I believe there's somebody in this room right here that's stepping out right now and Faith, saying, God, I trust you no matter what. I know the enemies come against you. I know there's been disappointment in your life, but is there someone that'll make a declaration and say, I'm walking down to that altar. I'm knowing that God has the ability to heal, to make a way, to answer the problem, to minister to my need. But even if he doesn't, devil, I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to walk away. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep living for him. I trust him no Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on your cheeks, I'm going to wait on your